The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. Now your host, Nick Nanavati. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Art of War podcast. It is a new year, it is a new show, and we are back. We are back. We are back for our 260-something episode. It is awesome. And we're back with a repeat guest over here. We've got Brian Jones, the man who can make Imperial Knights work when they are one of the worst factions in the game. And he is here to spread some wonderful New Year's knowledge. But this show is not going to actually be about Imperial Knights. This show is going to be about Brian, how he makes at work, how he views 40k, and kind of what his goals are for the new year. New Year's are all about setting goals and um, achieving them and setting out some steps and tactics and uh, paths for you, us to achieve our goals. So in light of that, we want to really do our best to identify what those goals are and set a step-by-step plan for how we achieve them. And Brian's got a really interesting and unique perspective on uh, where he's at with Warhammer as a, as a hobby. And I really want to highlight that storyline for us today because I think it's something we can all relate to and I think it's something that we can all learn from. And that's going to be part one of our show. We're going to get to know Brian, his play style, how he how he uses his play style to play Imperial Knights and how that can translate for other armies going forward. And then in part two of this two-part conversation, which will, of course, be for our subscribers on AOW40K.com. That's our Patreon. Thank you so much for all of you who are subscribed. It really helps us keep producing the show, which we love so much. In that episode, part two, Brian and I are going to discuss this new army he's been thinking about cooking up and really start to give him some ideas for how to tackle that faction in the new year. Um, So I'm very excited to just jump right into this. Brian, how are you doing? I'm great, Nick. I'm enjoying the new year. I am still like in that post-holiday glow. I'm going to be taking my nephews to Disney World tomorrow to build some lightsabers. So, you know, life is life is good. That's life is good. Lightsabers and Disney sounds like you're living the dream out here. Doing my best. Uh, I won't lie. Having a 14 year old and a nine year old boy running around in my uh, home has given me a new appreciation for everyone who is both a parent and somehow finds the time to play 40K. Well, I think that's a great segue into our discussion, actually, because one of the things that everyone struggles with who is knee deep in this hobby is finding the time to keep up with it. The gamescape is ever changing. GW is releasing rules left, right, and center. And the game gets harder, not easier as you climb that competitive ladder, especially as more information is available and people get better with time. It's it's tough to stay competitive in the field of 40k these days. So I want to talk to you about what that's been like as for your journey, because you are kind of like a diehard night player and your knights are not in the best of shape compared to like other armies <laughs> based on a win percentage. So what has that been like for you? Yeah, um, I think Imperial Knights to me have always been, well, I'll start with, actually, Nick, I started out with a love of ultramarines. Um, I walked into a GW store with my buddies, uh, the Battle Bunker in Memphis, Tennessee, way back when, when I was a lot younger. Uh, I saw the third edition artwork of Tigarius throwing lightning out of his hands and said, whatever this game is, cool, I'm in. Played Ultramarines all the way through the pandemic. And when I came back into ninth edition, I realized character is really different. I want to try something else. I don't want to try to just build around Gilliman, which is what eighth edition had been. I brought 
a Freeblade Lance group of knights to a GT, just thinking, hey, only having seven models makes it really easy to learn the rules, right? And I absolutely fell in love with it, both the play style of you really have to think through your activation order, even more so than when you have a whole plethora of units. And you have to think about the specific job you're trying to accomplish for every model. And on top of that, from the hobby side, I've absolutely loved Freeblade Lance as a concept. Every knight has its own story. I get to build and paint them with whatever I kind of have in my mind. So the trend has been either naming my knights after one of my dogs or a Star Wars character or something else. And I've loved coming up with the different paint schemes and the different backstories for each of them and why the pilots are there. That's that's something that keeps me engaged, even when, as you said, right now, Imperial Knights, we're not the most competitive army out there. There's that fun bit of challenge, right, of trying to make them work in a world where you're not the meta army. Um, that's quite enjoyable, especially when you can kind of throw some new list ideas out there into the meta that no one else is really building against. So it's finding ways to keep engaged in the game when you feel like maybe it's a little bit of a tougher sledding. That's where I think the hobby component and finding factions that you connect with is so important because it's very easy to get burnt out on the slog throughout the year. I, I know, you know, you've run into it as well. It's just sometimes you can't, can't get around to like reading another set of rules and trying to dive into it. You just need a break. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things with this hobby is it's it's endless, it's relentless. And while that's so amazing because you can always turn to it in a time where you want to enjoy your hobby, it's there for you. It's also maybe a little too much there for you where you burn yourself out or um, you know, you just don't feel like doing it. And then what do you do with your time, your spare time to clear your head or whatever? And especially with one faction being your primary faction and your faction being so shallow in terms of number of data sheets you know yeah. little knights big knights and then you know different weapon options and whatnot beyond that it's really about how you use it on the table and what i think is really incredible is that you're not just stat jamming your knights at people which i think is like 95 percent of knight players just here's my toughness 10 or 12 or whatever in mass and too many wounds you can't kill it all everybody can kill it all. that's why your win for records are so bad so finding out how to use those knights uniquely in the situation is like a huge element to success with them and then of course like you said the hobby elements and the narrative and being able to customize your models that's what keeps you engaged in the interim so when you're trying to compete brian and you're in it or even if you're not in it and you're trying to get back into it how do you view your very limited toolbox with imperial knights as a real competitor how does it make it work yeah, I think, and real quick, I want to caveat and say, like, I love that I love that our hobby now is never ending. Back in third and fourth edition, you could go years without seeing something for your faction. So I don't want GW to ever think that I want them to slow down. Please don't. Um, but as I approach competition, there's the blessing and the curse of limited data sheets, I think, right? Like I can know my codex kind of back to front because there's so few options. But at the same time, I think fully being able to exploit what options are in there is where you can really flex your faction mastery because sometimes it's going to be that difference in carapace weapons on the Questorus models or the slightly different, you know, knowing the bondsman abilities that some of the Forge World options can give the Serestus Knights now available in plastic, which are a ton of fun. I'm building one of them now. I'm replacing my Resin Lancer, which has been with me forever. It's one of my first Forge World models. Um, but being able to approach and really dive into that. I don't, 
I never really stat check a list first. You know, I think, right, you can go into it and be like, all right, I want to have 48 wounds at T12. That's going to be my baseline. Instead, one of the things I look at most is, okay, what can provide me some interesting play options? Because I have so few models, I need them to be able to do some things that are, you know, a bit unexpected. So thinking about a Lancer gives out advance and charge to Armagers. That's not something that's readily available in 10th edition. It gives me greater reach on the table. And it's something for me to go, okay, maybe there's some ideas there I can build around. Same thing with the Lancer having an invulnerable combat or the Atropos. Both of those are invaluable because normally in prior editions, the answer to knights as far as killing them has never been shoot them to death because that invulnerable can be a good swingy. Just get in combat and they die, right? No invulnerable save. So finding avenues to build around that kind of give you a linchpin of the list, you know, your anvil that you can kind of hammer other things into. And then the other component that I really like examining is just what what am I hoping to accomplish amongst the missions that are there? Like, am I looking to have a fit set plan for secondary going into every game, or am I going to try to play the tactical game? And what I've found, at least so far in 10th, is that it's very hard for me to go into a tournament and say, I know I'm going to take fixed every time. I know I'm going to take homers and, you know, whatever else and do fine. And that's mainly because I have a limited number of data sheets. Actions are not my friend because I have so few activations. It's very difficult to convince yourself to give it up. Um, And I think one of the most important things for people to think about is acknowledging that the opportunity cost of tactical, a lot of times we go, oh, you're just giving up the CP, right? If you're not taking tactical, why wouldn't you take it? But sometimes when you're looking at a turn four of, oh, now I've drawn investigate signals, so I can either investigate signals with my 300, 400 point model in a corner, or I can kill your last unit of chosen, Nick, that's probably going to pick up my knight next turn. How do you, how do you, you know, balance those? You're getting pulled in two different directions. And that's one of the challenges I found with the faction in playing tactical. On the opposite side, as far as positives, I think one of the coolest things that Games Workshop has done is finally giving big knights obscuring terrain. It's such a different game for us now versus what 8th and ninth had been, where it was a very binary state, I think. And even at the beginning of 10th, right? Towering. I think we'd all agree it was a pretty binary state of the game when you went up against the knights list, which is not fun for either of us, right? It's either I'm going to shoot you off the table or you have enough to punch me in the face when you go first that I I don't have a chance. And that sucks. No one's enjoying that. And obscuring has introduced such a new level of tactical thinking into the game because opponents go in and they're like, oh, cool, I'm just going to shoot you. I'll blast you off the table with all my last cannons. And then at the end of turn one, they realize I can't see anything to shoot it. Okay, now I have to move into his threat range. This is a problem. Right, you get to start playing Warhammer more like mo- most of the other factions in that there's trade-offs for hiding behind terrain, you get your opponent to come towards you, you can then counter-strike, but if you're behind terrain, you're further back from the table. And, you know, just being able to make use of that and take away the the binary nature of what happens to 40k, you just pretend the terrain doesn't matter, which is what Old Towering did or, you know, things like that. So I love that you're able to use that to your advantage with these knights. And basically, if I could summarize kind of what you're going for here with your very limited data sheet size is really get the most out of your data sheets, know them back to front, and look for different tools to add to your toolbox so that you can not just be pinned into a specific game plan that 
is trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, so to speak. You need to be tactically flexible. And that kind of extends into being able to do fixed in some games, tactical in others. Maybe in one game we're going to advance and charge the, the armatures and really get in combat with you. Maybe the next game we're going to sit back and, and shoot and play the long-range game. And there's so many factors that go into it, like where the terrain falls, what's the mission, what's your opponent, et cetera, et cetera. How do you go about identifying um, which tools and which approach to play with your list? Yeah, and that's that's the other important part, right? You can pre-plan for your list all you want, but then when you get into the actual GT, you have to be able to adapt. Over the course of six rounds, you're going to play very different missions with different deployments against completely different opponents. So a mission on you know sweeping sweeping clear, which is the opposing corners deployment, I'm really excited about that with a Lancer until I have to play Anthony Vinia's World Eaters, and then that game is suddenly horrible for me. And so if I get that pairing on that mission, I have to be able to go, okay, the plan that I might use for a different faction is completely out the window. Here's what I've got to try to adjust to. So, you know, to take a bit of a step into the micromanagement of it in a tournament, I always like to give myself, you know, pairings go up, we all get excited, we want to move to our new table. I like to take a moment, look at my opponent's list before I move, I have already looked at what the next mission is and just take two minutes to kind of think, okay, what do I, what is a game plan for me? How do I, what are my biggest threats in my opponent's list? What are the things I've got to avoid? What's my general path to victory? And then carry my stuff over, meet my opponent, get settled in and have a great time. And taking that little, you know, break in there to just pause, think and go with a game plan. It, does a whole lot for me versus just suddenly I'm deployed and I'm like, why did I do this? How am I going to get to where I need to be? Or how am I going to kill the things that I need to handle? And instead I can say, I've got a stated goal and I want to get there. It's the same kind of thinking you can take for your year in its entirety. And you've just got to make sure to use that same approach when you go into each individual game. Right. And especially with Knights, I think a lot of players will find themselves uh, not being able to see all of their available options. I know you like to run backwards with your knights, which confuses the crap out of many people. Uh, you know, famous game you played against Sean Naden, where you literally just stood still versus the Orc Army after they staged at you and said, I dare you to actually charge me. And these kinds of outside-the-box tactics or strategies that you can employ come because you're so familiar with your, your toolbox um, and you're assessing the situation that you are in individually and kind of step by step working your way through it. I think a lot of players, especially when you consider the mental tax, that 40K over six rounds, nine rounds, these big super major tournaments, um, you know, it's really hard to give each game that much individual attention where you're like trying to make a game plan individually for each opponent. And then you have to, you kind of fall into your playbook, whatever your playbook is as a person. And then, especially with an army like knights falling into your playbook could just be a death sentence so how do you manage the physical element the mental strain of having to really think about every game individually i think i will say i feel like that's one of the strengths of knights in that if i only bringing six or seven units i my kind of thought process of extrapolating out moves and how what i can do while, yes, you can see it as a limited toolbox and a little bit less, the mental load can be lighter because I can go, okay, as soon as I realize that what the first domino on my list is going to be, the first activation, the rest can kind of quickly fall in line. I would say, like, for me, a faction like Gene Steeler Colts, where you can kind of have, you know, an absolute three-pager list long, you know, of units, 
that you're going to try to use and to be greater than the sum of its parts. That kind of a mental tax for me over the course of a six-round tournament, eight-round tournament, that's immense. And I think as far as getting through the day, making sure, stay hydrated, sit when you can. We all get really excited and want to stand over the table. But remember to like, there's a chair provided at most every tournament. Take the time to sit, rest your body, and just sit and process. And taking the time in your opponent's turn to be thinking about, okay, he's finished his movement. I can see where he is. If my resources are still available, what do I think my game plan is? And then when you get to your turn, you've already mapped it out to an extent. You have to adjust to how some combats will go or, you know, if you fail a battle shock test in your command phase at the wrong time. Um, anytime I play John Lennon, that seems to happen. I just fail them all. Um, but take the time to pre-plan when you have the downtime. Your opponent's turn is a chance for you to be sitting, to be resting, drink some water, and just think. And I think... We all get really excited in games. I have definitely fallen victim to just being like, all right, forward with honor. We're all charging. And then by the time I reach the end of the game, like, that probably wasn't my smartest move. And it's just being able to take that breath and fully contemplate what, what your actions are. As far as preparing for that, I actually found that like games similar to XCOM or things like that that are turn-based you know, kind of strategy games, tactical. I love it. It's like practicing for 40K for me because it's thinking through which unit I want to use for what thing. And I'm never sure what I'm going to run into in a game like that. And I've got to be able to use the toolbox I have on hand to adjust to the problems that are there. And I think taking a break sometimes for 40K and playing a few, you know, campaigns of that, it sharpens my thinking and prepares me for going into 40K without giving me the grind down of like, doing endless reps on the table with the same army. And sometimes sometimes I can't do that. I just, I got a mental block at being able to do that and I need to change it up. And it'll give you a different perspective. That's an amazing answer. I think the, the little tips and tidbits you gave about like stay hydrated, sit in the chair, think on your opponent's turn, those are great. Those are standbys, plays straight out of everybody's competitive playbook. You gotta be doing that stuff. But beyond that, I think what you hit was the fact that you play other games to actually sharpen yourself at Warhammer when you don't want to play Warhammer, especially when you're grinding knights over and over and over. It can be, you know, kind of boring to a degree or maybe um, a little bit unfun to have to feel like you have to grind knights over and over and over to, to learn matchups and really get good. But if you can diversify by playing other games that teach you similar skills, like thinking outside the box in the moment, solving that tactical situation that you are in specifically, that can go a super long way. And I've heard a couple other players over the years, you know, play other games to sharpen their 40k skills. I personally do not do that, but if it works for some, you know, it can definitely work. So what do you think that allows you to do though? You know, because when a lot of players play super competitive Warhammer, and I know Brian, you just made uh, Team America 40k for your second year in a row in the academy and you know that that is a rigorous game schedule of of weekly practices and always constantly talking about matchups and things of that nature and then you're stuck here with knights where you have a limited <laughs> matchup situation where it's like hey, if he just blows me up he blows me up but this is i have to play the game in the moment how do you as a person cope with the fact that that can burn you out on 40k that type of rigorousness and on top of that, 
um, it's hard to get an accurate read of your matchups for like a matrix or something when your matchups change so much based on the mission and the terrain layout and whatever other factors you have on, say, turn two. Yeah, and I think there's a, a macro to micro approach to that, right? For me, I, I'll be candid. I actually took November and December kind of completely off, no tournaments. I needed that for kind of my end of the year. We've got LVO coming up. I kind of regard that as my end of the season. And thinking about the next year, you know, setting goals for myself this year, it was focused on I wanted to make Team USA and ideally I wanted to finish number one in the world for ITC Imperial Knights. Accomplish one, I'm on track to do the second, hopefully, fingers crossed. And now how do I, you know, set myself up for next year? What I started thinking about was, all right, let's branch out. Let's see if by playing some other factions that play differently, I could learn new things that I can apply with my favorite faction, maybe, and also just challenge myself to adapt and get a better understanding of the game from a different perspective. And so as I approached this year, I started thinking about, all right, I'm joining Team USA. I feel refreshed. It's January. I want to pick up something that's pretty different. You know, I'm bringing a few units that are super tough. What if I... Admech just came out with a codex. What if I take a look, dive into that book, found some really interesting stuff in there. I The fluff is intriguing to me. Call has been interesting since he became a character to me. Um, and so I've decided I'm going to dive in. I'm going to try to bring some mastery of knowledge to Admech and add that to my repertoire. And it gives me something to change up the pace with if not, you know, if I hit the wall with knights. And it helps me build perspective. And then for my teams, you know, a team's perspective, as I'm a member of the team, I become more valuable because A, I'm while there's value in being a single faction expert, being able to be an expert in two, or I think kind of at most three at that competitive level, because things change so much, you need to practice so often. It's just really not tenable to go beyond that number when you're having to constantly get those reps in. But it makes you more valuable as things shift in the meta and your team's trying to figure out, all right, what are our best eight armies and who are the players that can cover that? Anything you can do to stretch yourself to provide greater flexibility to the team is great. And I found I found Teams 40K to make me a significantly better singles player. Um, I don't think I would have done nearly as well this year if I hadn't been over this past season, if I had not been practicing with Team USA and playing with them. Can you unpack that a little? We had Vic Vijay on maybe right after WTC last year, and he said something super similar. It was his first time playing at WTC, his first time playing Team 40K, and he himself prescribes as a singles player. So he, he came back on our show and he was like, I played at WTC and that team mindset has made me such a better singles player, kind of like seeing the Matrix in a way. How has the team environment not only shaped you into picking up Admech, but also made you a better player? I, it's so invaluable. And I, in the team's perspective, everything everyone who's listening to this podcast is trying to get out of it, which is you know gaining some knowledge, a different perspective, learning some tips and tricks that you can carry over into your own game. I strongly encourage you, jump into a team tournament and play it. You will get so much out of, A, just sitting and talking with your team and how y'all approach different matchups and how you want to do pairings because you have to really think through every faction, how they match up with different ones, what the path to victory is for them. It just expands your knowledge and your, I'm hesitant to say expertise, but really it is your expertise in 40K in general as far as how you think about approaching games because you're doing it with four or seven other people and 
being a member of Team USA, I've been lucky enough to sit and, you know, talk to Sean, talk to John Lennon, talk to Jack Harvester, talk to Anthony Vanilla, you know, all of these players who have won amazing tournaments and absorb a lot of knowledge and then also provide counterpoints. I think sometimes sitting down and being like, all right, you're, you know, Nick, you're digging sisters right now and I'm loving Imperial Knights. Here's how I would approach our matchup. How would you approach it? And what do you think your path to victory is? And it gives me such a better idea if I go into a singles matchup of, okay, based on what Nick told me, I think my opponent's probably going to try to do X. So I'm going to take a path for Y. And the matrix exercise, and I know that, you know, everyone's going, what are you talking about? You know, what, what does Keanu Reeves have to do with this? It's, creating a matrix in Excel and going through all the possible matchups in a team matchup. So here's my list and all of my teammates lists, and here's all of our opponents lists and everybody rates each individual matchup they could possibly get. And you poke and prod each other on it. You know, you go, why do you think that matchup works that way? Why do you see yourself, you know, consistently winning nine times out of 10 in that matchup? And because you have to defend your thought process and articulate your thoughts and then have blind spots that you might have created for yourself addressed. As long as you approach it with, I'm going to constantly be learning. If you go into a team setting thinking that you know everything about 40K and everyone just needs to listen to you, you're not going to get anything out of it, except some frustrating losses because you have blind spots and you need to learn to see them. So go in with an open mind, be willing to learn, and just be willing to listen to your teammates and trust their expertise. It's been absolutely, even just sitting and watching them play a game is so educational because you ask them, why did you just do that? What was your thought process behind that move? And then as you listen to it, you go, that's something I never would have considered in my movement phase. Interesting. I wonder if I could adapt that to my faction. I love that. It's such a perspective shift, right? We, we talked about perspectives a lot in this episode, right? You're talking about how your knights give you the perspective of big, chunky models and how to micromanage four, five, six units on the table that are single individual models. And then you're like, I want to play Admech because Admech is totally different. Lots of small stuff, dies all the time, scores a bunch of points, very different approach. And that's a totally different perspective switch to try to learn Warhammer in a better light, in a different perspective. And anybody can pick up a second faction. You don't need to find friends to do that. You can just go to your store and purchase some models and boom, you're second faction. But beyond that, the brain trust or the, the team environment that is provided by any team tournament, whether it's ATC or WTC or most countries outside of America also have plenty of team tournaments these days to hop in on. You get some friends together, and even if you're not world-class players like Sean and John and them, um, you know you, your team still has ideas. They're still trying to do their best, and you know whether their ideas are world-class or not, you will learn from them at your pace and just get better with time and be open-minded about that. Learning all these different perspectives can really, really help you. Personally, I played on Team America for like seven years before taking a little bit of a hiatus to focus on Art of War, and. During those years, I always felt like I was my sharpest at and right around WTC just because of all that that thought. It kind of is the opposite of groupthink in a way because you walk in with your individualistic mindset and your perspectives from the practice games you played and this and that. And you might come in, this happens all the time, where it's like, I'm playing this army and I see the Matrix and their army is like I'm playing world eaters and they're playing thousand suns. So like 10 times out of 10 times, I'm going to charge them and run them over. This is a clear win. And then all of a sudden it's not, you get flipped over at WTC. And that happens because you, they, they did something totally different that you didn't see coming and having 
practice and discussion with your thousand sons about how they can approach it and grinding that game a couple of times so they can learn different things and you can learn different things. That's really how you learn. Okay. If they play it this way, I should win. If they play it that way, it'll get a lot closer. I don't know what they're going to do yet, but you know, that's kind of the idea here. I think that's a great, great answer for how teams can help you beat in singles. It just, yeah, I think the conversations that you get to have with teammates and preparing for a tournament and while you're in, you know, in between rounds, going out to dinner with your team, you know, after the first day and thinking about the next day, it's 40K at its most invigorating. I came back from WTC just so engaged and ready to go because it's, you know, when you're practicing to try to make yourself at singles, we've been, we've used the word grind so many times already, Nick, when we've been talking, because sometimes you're just like, all right, I just got to keep playing matches, keep playing matches. And, it, and you wear yourself out mentally trying to just better yourself. And when you are practicing with a group for a team and you guys are like, all right, we're going to do this matchup. We're going to do that matchup. You're getting better as a player. You're helping your teammates get better as players and you're becoming better as a cohesive unit. And instead of suddenly, instead of draining, you're looking forward to practicing every like Wednesday night because those games are really fun and you know you're walking away and learning something every time versus having like confirmation bias. And That's I think so true. The the challenging of each other from teams at the same time is, you know, there's so many times that one person's like, oh, I win this matchup 10 out of 10 times. And the person on the team who plays the opposing faction is like, okay, let's go to the table right now. Let me show you something you haven't run into before. And those are those blind spots where you just you wind up in a world in singles where you're like, okay. I know this is my game plan every time against Eldar until you run into somebody who plays it differently and flips you off of the table and you have to go back to the drawing board. Well, when you practice with the team, you can get try to get ahead of those moments. Totally agree. So when you're trying to apply your own personal play style to the team environment, it can be challenging because you obviously excel based on this conversation at thinking outside the box, figuring out the individualistic moment, very uh, like a tactically sharp game of Warhammer where you're in the situation and you figure out what to do and you take it from there. And you use your experience and your reps to kind of give you a baseline strategy. But beyond that, you know, the mission and the deployment and the terrain will all be factors that are considered. So when you're such a strong in-the-moment player, how do you cope with the fact that teams and to a lesser degree singles, but really teams, demands a level of strategic certainty where it's like, I will approach it this way. It's, it's one of the most interesting things, uh, and I think probably was one of the biggest challenges going through the first, my first year of WTC prep with Team USA, of learning that you know, the singles mindset of, well, I just have to win by one point. That's it. Like, that's the binary point in singles. I just need one extra point than you can get, and I win. Whereas in teams, you're going, okay, how do I best help my team? And sometimes that can be going, okay, well, Eldar are really overpowered. We just need to get them out of the way. And I can go, oh, well, I can lose the least hard against them and scrape some points together for us because my faction is, you know, it may be slower to kill or I can hide better on this mission or whatever. And your job is to fall on that grenade. You're going to go, you know, you're going to lose a game. But the challenge is for you to claw out as many points as you possibly can for your team. I, I think that that's so much more engaging for me as 40K than when at Nova this past year, I would get I got paired into three different Eldar lists. That was pre post-release, pre-nerf Eldar. We all knew what the result of those games were going to be. 
And that's not engaging. That's not, you know, that's not going to give you that joy you want out of a tournament. And so Teams presents so many opportunities there for you to not just look at the binary state win-loss, but at how can I make this game as close as possible, even if I'm supposed to lose, so that I set my team up for success. And right. it makes it larger than yourself. Yeah. And then you also, you know, if you're going to have to, if I have to go into a game and it's like, Brian, you're not going to charge, you're going to sit at home. We need you to not get tabled and be around for all five turns to keep the score close. And I might go, what? No, I want to charge, you know, reclaim the land, defend the house. No, you need to do this. Well, now I, as a tactical player, have to actually play differently than I might normally. And again, I'm only going to broaden my perspective, my tool set, my experience doing that. It's also, to your point, if your job in singles is to win the game and figure out how to win the game, one point versus 100 points, it doesn't matter. And that could be recognizing that your only approach to beating Eldar with your knights, as an example, is to just throw the Hail Mary. You know, deploy all the knights on the line, go first, get roll lucky on your saves when the Wraith Knight shoots you. And maybe if if there's a 10% chance you actually win this game versus in teams, your job is to lose not badly, hide behind terrain, barely do anything, barely interact, figure out how to make tactical pushes in the moment. But largely, you are on track to lose, and you're not even sweating that. That's totally fine. Um, but you're not taking risks to lose even more points, because by deploying online and going for that Hail Mary in the single scenario, 90% of the time, you're going to get destroyed by turn two. You're going to fail the saves against the Wraith Knight, and there's no more Knights by turn three. So that comes home as a zero-point game for you and teams, even though that's a 10% chance that you actually won, versus a very consistent, I'm going to lose and get a six out of 20. Yeah. And there's that sense, right? There's this immense sense of satisfaction coming out of that when you're doing that bigger than yourself, right? At talking about singles, there's that binary result, right? You either win the round or you lose the round, usually. Ties happen, draws happen. But, you know, that high or low that you're kind of chasing there, it's it's a very binary state. Whereas, like, you know, we had a, a experience at TBSA where we expected High May to go into a round at WTC and get us like a one or a two which is, you know, um, getting blown out by about 45, 40 points in standard scoring. And he came back and was like, I got a seven. You know, he only lost by like 20 points. And it's like, you would have thought he'd won the Super Bowl with the way everyone was cheering for him on the team because it's just, hey, you came back, you contributed. This is huge. He lost yeah. the game. But it's that he went so far beyond what we needed out of it and overperformed in that aspect. It just it gives a very different perspective and feel to 40k, and if you're somebody who you know much like me can can get ground down by doing singles after singles after singles, mix it up. It, it's just again, it will keep you fresh over the course of the whole year. It will keep you engaged, and it will consistently make you a better player as well. And not only that, but I'll add two more things to it. Well, then it helps smooth out the bumps in the road with Warhammer because we all know that there are times in this game, maybe after a balanced data slate or a codex or a new rule set, that the game's just not that great. There are um, factions that are super overtuned, or maybe you have a limited number of factions like yourself, Brian, and your knights are just not that capable of winning tournaments. And if you're only a singles player, it's like, well, I'm just going to sit on the bench and wait for Eldar to get nerfed. 
or you're a team's player. Every team has one Eldar player and then five or six other factions, you know, based on the size of the team. And your job in the team is to maybe fall on the grenade versus the Eldar or get the Eldar player to get into an Eldar mirror or what, whatever it might be is your answer. But it allows you to even the playing field of faction disparity really well. And additionally, you're doing so with presumably your friends. So it's kind of a, a group effort and a hangout session all in once. Exactly. It's, it is some of the best times you can have playing 40K. And if you're listening to this and you're going, oh, well, I don't, I don't know that I've got four buddies locally that I can put together or anything. Find your local clubs. Meet, like, meet strangers. That is, I blindly played on an ATC tournament with uh, four guys from uh, the Knoxville East, uh, ETC team. And absolutely loved it. And I now I have great new 40K friends. Be willing to kind of throw, put yourself out there. And a chan- Teams is a great chance to make like 10 new friends around versus just the one new friend that you make during singles. You're so right. You're so right. So that kind of leads really nicely into our second half of this conversation, which is going to be on part two. That's where we're going to talk about your exploring this admech faction specifically for teams. You know, it's going to broaden your perspectives and, as you said, make you more valuable as a team asset, increases the odds you get selected as a player, become the admech expert. But, Brian, you're a knight player. They have five, six, seven models. Admech are totally opposite in so many different ways, and you don't even have games with admech yet. So, in part two of this discussion, we're going to talk about what that journey looks like, how to how you're going to approach learning AdMech and what you see in the codex as potential and what your first initial builds will look like and then what are your goals throughout the year. So if you're interested as listeners in hearing about Brian's journey with AdMech, how a top player learns a new faction, and just generally how to improve yourself at Warhammer, I highly implore you to check out part two of this episode on AOW40K.com. Brian, thank you so much for coming on, chatting with us about your perspective, the new year, the goals, and, and your perspective on teams. Oh, it's been a blast, Nick. This is nothing but fun. Always happy to talk 40K. Awesome. Listeners, happy new year. We will see you over on our Patreon and next week for another episode. Thanks so much for listening. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com